If you grabbed one of those black Bibles in the back, we're going to be on page 1,211 as we look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the crux of the gospel. It's a straight and narrow way, and the one and only truth resides in the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior provided through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only Son of God, the only man to live a sinless life, and the only one who could be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Sit there and think about that for a second. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And just consider that refreshing breath of truth. Because of what Jesus has done on my behalf, I am secure. I am redeemed. I am set free by the Son. I can guarantee more than one person in this room needed to be reminded of that this morning. Some of us here are sprinting a marathon. In any given moment of 
Any day we're balancing relationships, work tasks and challenges, home tasks and challenges, trying to see the needs and desires of our spouses and the needs of our children, trying to make sure we keep this balancing act together. You're hearing voices say you should do this and do that. People chirping in your ear that this is the best thing and and that's the best thing. Your head is spinning and you're saying, what's going on here? Sometimes life feels like the clown with the spinning plates. We're doing all we can to try and keep those plates in the air. We find our focus on this plate and that plate, hoping none of them come crashing to the ground, knowing if that's the case, they'll all go crashing to the ground. In addition to those tasks and activities, we have our feelings and emotions, stress and anxiety. And amidst all that, in our striving and in our seeking, we're quick to lose sight of the refreshing truth of the gospel. For brief moments, we take our eyes off the prize of eternity and forget that we are truly children of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So this morning, we look at this text with that in mind. It brings us to the full understanding of the truth of the gospel with a warning of deception, but thankfully also provides the assurance of protection for those holding fast to the promise of eternal life provided in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this text this morning, we're going to look at it in in two parts. First, this warning of deception, which we'll see in verses 18 through 23 and in verse 26, and then the protection provided by Jesus Christ, which we'll see in verses 24, 25, and 27. As I prepared and contemplated the idea of the warning that's provided here in this text, I couldn't help but relate to my current stage of parenting of young children. When it comes down to it, our life seems like a constant state of warning and correction. Look both ways before you cross the street. Don't bend your brother's arm in that direction. That, that's not the way you talk to other people. Don't chew the gum from under the table. Warning after warning. Trying to make sure these little humans are protected from the things that they don't even know are harmful. And while those warnings yield their fair share of eye rolls, but wise, and I know better than you comments, that in our household results in a lot of timeouts, spankings, teaching discussions, I have to remind myself that these warnings are to point my children to the truth. 
towards an objective understanding of the world and the things around them. If you don't look both ways before crossing the street and you get hit by a car, it's likely your time here on earth is over. It's a reality. It's the truth. If you talk to people like a jerk, you aren't going to enjoy relationships with other people for very long. It's a reality. It's a truth. And while these warnings point to objective truth of the things around us, ultimately it points to Jesus Christ, the truth. Each of these lessons points to the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. While I pick and choose which lessons to directly stress this point, my boys need more than anything to see that they're sinners in need of a Savior. And that the only way to atone for their sin is the atoning sacrifice of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Those warnings serve a purpose. It's to point toward truth. And in the context of this text, there's a very clear purpose in the warning that the Apostle John provides. He's pointing us towards the truth. In this text, the Apostle John draws a very clear line that in regard to that truth of who Jesus is as the Christ, you either accept it and are all in for the truth, or you're against it. Or as he described it, you're not one of us. You're an antichrist. So let's... Look a little further at this warning then. I'm going to reread verses 18 through 23. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of, a, of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And then skipping to verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. As we look at this part of the text, I want to consider a couple key elements of it. First, what does it mean by it is the last hour from verse 18? What is he talking about when he talks about Antichrist in verses 19 through 23? And who and what is the deception we're talking about in verse 26? So we see a, a couple of these references to the, the last hour in verse 18. 
your question may be this. What does the Apostle John mean by the the last hour? At first glance, you might be thinking that this text, written nearly 2,000 years ago, must have been a pretty bad prediction. That the Apostle John was predicting that Jesus' second coming was just right around the corner. But in fact, if we look at this translation in the context a little closer, it's, it's really translated as the last days or the, the last times. It's, it's actually a definitive statement on the timeline of redemptive history, where it's being reiterated that the Savior has come, that sin and death have been defeated, that there is no other Savior left for all of human history. He's telling us, by telling us it's the last hour, that the next step in this story is the end, when Jesus comes to end the gnashing of teeth, and when all tears will come to be. There's not another way. There's not another option to be saved here. And while a very present reminder to us now, it was equally critical to those to whom he was originally writing. You see, within the context of this letter, John is writing to the early Gentile church, attempting to solidify and encourage those who have remained steadfast and united in their truth and understanding of the gospel. These second and third generation Christians were suffering from a a church split, notably due and influenced by the heresy of docetism. The idea that Jesus was not man, but merely a spirit. That Jesus wasn't physically made manifest here on earth, and consequently, These docetists then supposed that an earthly Messiah was still yet to come. And so the Apostle John is working through that misunderstanding. He's encouraging those who don't believe that to remember that that is true. If you flip back to to chapter 1, he's very steadfast in that, telling them that He's heard and seen and touched the man, Jesus Messiah. He reminds them that the scriptures are fulfilled in him and him alone. He is telling them that Jesus is it. There is no other savior to come. So we see then this truth, and then we see the Apostle John go on attack against another group of people, right? He goes on attack to the people he calls antichrists. What does that mean, antichrist? It's really the the crux of this warning is that the antichrists are here that they have come. In fact, we see in verse 18, it's how we know it's the last hour is that people are attacking the son, 
So we get the definition of Antichrist here in verse 22. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. We see something similar if you turn your Bible back a couple more pages to 2 John verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. In the beginning of verse 8, watch yourselves. And so he describes this group of so-called believers that were among them for a season. Right? He says in verse 19, they went out from us. But he makes the distinction very clear. They were not of us. The Apostle John here is saying, guys, don't lose heart. There's nothing to mourn. There's nothing to worry about. They were with us, but they aren't who we thought they were. In fact, although they were near to us, they couldn't be farther from us. Their identity is rooted in something other than the Son. Our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ and theirs is in something else. They don't believe in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Continues in verse 19, for if they would have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, they all are not of us. You see, those who left, the docetists, thinking that Jesus was only spirit, not accepting the truth that he was the complete fulfillment of the scriptures, they thought they knew God the Father. But the truth resides in verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Let me say that again. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 6. It's on the mural behind me. Words directly from the mouth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The case is clear. This situation, it's pretty straightforward. Those who left you denied the Son. Therefore, they do not know God the Father. They are not of you. 
Have you ever had a conversation like this? Do you believe in God? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I believe in God, yeah. Do you think you're going to heaven, right? Another way of saying, do you think that you have eternal life, which has been promised to those who know God? And the response, how many times have we gotten this response? Yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. Are you going to heaven? Do you have eternal life? Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. That response just said my good works gets me to heaven. And further says that they lied in the first response. They don't know God. No one who denies the Son has the Father. If you don't know Jesus and acknowledge his substitutionary sacrifice for you, you don't know God. And the most loving thing you can say to that person who thinks they know God but is trusting in themselves to get to heaven is that your sin isn't covered by you being good, but only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But be careful, right? We were quick to say, oh, but, but them. <laughs> right? Even someone who's heard the truth, who knows of Jesus, may deny the Son to appealing to our own good works. I pray, I read my Bible, I go to church every Sunday. Stop it, it's not that. It's only Jesus. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. If you want God the Father, you must confess God the Son. And so we have the last hour, we have the Antichrist, those who deny the Son. So now let's look then at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. You see, our unbelief can be a little more subtle, right? It leads to this Third question regarding this warning, who and what is this deception? And I, I think we can come back and see the tie to the command from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, where it says, Do not love the world and the things in the world. You see, there are many things in our lives to distract us from the central truth and the promise of our salvation. The different plates we're trying to juggle get us focused there instead of on him. We have empty promises from the voices around us. They surround us in every moment of every day. 
Our strivings, even sometimes with what we think are the best intentions, are actually sinful desires. Our sin starts to cloud us. It gives us a short-sighted, myopic perspective on the eternal beauty of what the Lord offers and provides in Christ Jesus. Do you really trust Jesus Christ? Secretly, in your heart of hearts, you may be thinking that you're good enough. That if you just keep it up, you'll, you'll be okay. You look around and you're saying, well, I'm doing a better job of keeping up those plates than that person next to me. You think deep down that if you keep it up, if you keep trying hard, the Lord will smile down on you. Instead of seeing the blood of Jesus as propitiation for your sins. So we see this warning that it's the last hour, that the Savior has come and we await his return. And that those who deny the Son are not of us and are but liars and deceivers. And so like any warning, we ask ourselves, how then are we protected? So with that, we'll continue on to the second point, that our protection comes from abiding in the Lord. The warning that we've just talked about is looking at this group of unbelievers who left and are aiming to deceive those that remain. And this text is contrasting it against those who truly believe. Right? There are these two camps, those who deny the Son and therefore deny the Father, and then those who have confessed the Son and therefore get the Father. Look back at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Then the second half of 23 through 25, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. In verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. And so this protection provided from the Lord, the shelter to the warning that we've seen before has two parts. First, being anointed with the truth. And second, abiding in him. 
This is an encouragement to believers. That was the intent of this letter. And he says, you've been anointed by the Holy One. You have been made holy. You've been set apart by the truth. While the enemy comes to seek, kill, and destroy, you are completely secure because the truth is within you. As it says in verse 21, I write to you because you know the truth. Consider that for a moment. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who spoke all things into existence and exists from eternity past to eternity present, has revealed him to, to himself to you fully and completely through his word. The word made flesh in Christ Jesus and the helper in his Holy Spirit. Think about that, church. He has set you apart. He has anointed you by revealing himself to you. While others seek for hope and satisfaction, for love and joy and peace and patience, you've been given it completely and abundantly because you know the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Abide. What, what does that mean, the idea to ab abide? Think of it as to accept or to obey or to bear or to stand with. So that what you know as truth, let that bear or let that be observed in you. If it bears or is observed in you, then you too will bear or be observed in the Son and in the Father. We can go back to chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever abides in him, whoever bears with him, whoever stands with him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. To to abide, you have to be one with Jesus. You have to be united in the truth of who he is and what he's done for you. You have to be completely and wholeheartedly bought into the reality that his sacrifice is the only way to the Father. As Jared read earlier this morning from John chapter 15, Jesus directly explains this connection of abiding directly from our Savior talking through that set of verses, stand with me and I'll stand with you is what he's saying. He's a Savior that never leaves nor forsakes you. He invites you to be with him. Rest in him and he will protect you. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what it means to abide. 
right? To be codependent, to stand with, to bear in all things. Jesus goes on to say, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Abide in my love. There is nothing like a promise from God that says, if you bear with me, I'll bear with you. If you're with me, the God of the universe is telling us, if you're with me, I've got you. So abide. Stand for the Son and the Father will stand for you. Love the Son and the Father will love you. See and know the love that the Savior has for you as one who follows him and seek to know and obey his commands. Now, obviously, there could be a whole sermon series on this concept of what it means to abide in the Lord and the Lord abiding in us. But I I think we can see here in this text that bearing with the Lord, standing with the Lord, has him bearing and standing with us as our protection from deception. That protection is provided from his anointing and providing to us his truth. It's not from our own mustering up and figuring it out. It's not something that we can do, but is trusting and standing with the Lord. Because you've been anointed with the truth from the Son. May we abide in him and his truth. So, in conclusion, we've seen a warning of deception. We've seen the protection provided by the anointing of truth and abiding in the Lord. Let's consider a couple implications and applications. First, If you're sitting here this morning and you haven't confessed the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, now's the time. It it doesn't get more clear than this. You're either for Him or against Him. You're a follower of Jesus Or you're an antichrist. There's no in-between. There's no fence to ride. No one who denies the Son has the Father. But whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. I don't care how long you've been sitting here in church, whether this is your first week or your 4,001st week, if you don't know in your heart of hearts that you have yet to truly confess and believe that Jesus Christ and Him alone are the atonement for your sin, pray to Him now. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Secondly, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, consider this. Are you looking for another Messiah? Think about that element of the warning that's contained within describing that this is the last hour. That the full revelation of the Lord has been revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's complete. It's fully revealed. The work is finished. Search your heart, Buffalo City Church. Are you seeking and searching, hoping that something else better pops up than what is contained within Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh? How many of you are holding out a little bit? Pick an excuse. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's your pleasure. Are those things being elevated in hopes that that will provide ultimate satisfaction? Are you hoping in your mind of minds that those come to fruition, then all of a sudden you can stop the charade? Where's your mind at? Is it on the things of the Lord? Are you seeing and knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the one and only Messiah? Children, it's the last hour. Let's be a people who act with urgency and quickness to see and know our Savior in every moment of our every day. In our every conversation, in our every thought. The Christian life is one of surrender. But the beauty is that by giving it all, we receive everything provided in Christ Jesus. Confess with your life. You have been set apart. You have been made holy. Confess with your life that Jesus is Lord. Lastly, you have been anointed by the truth let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. We've said it before, the Christian life is simple but not easy. Trust in the Lord your God, and when you don't, repent and believe. I'm going to ask you this week to take a little time and reminisce. Consider where the Lord has led you over the amount of time in which you've been following him. Consider the truth that contained within you was provided by the Holy One. 
The fact that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is an amazing and special thing. Your heart of stone was made flesh by the spirit of truth. God acted on you and continues to act on you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? You know, when we had baptisms a few weeks ago, I hope like me for you, you got thinking about when the Lord grabbed your heart. Whether you were four or 64, I hope you had a fondness and an admiration for how the Lord drew you to himself, how he brought people into your lives to share the truth of who he was and who he is. Encourage us to think about that this week. Now the hope that that fondness and admiration of how the Lord drew you to himself, I, I hope that we've continued to grow and learn and mature. And we can see many, many more times and ways that the Lord called us to repentance and belief. But let us take some time this week to think and pray about how you've been anointed by truth and how that abides in you and how you can continue to abide in him. May we heed the warning and see that the Antichrists are here to deceive, the enemy to seek, kill, and destroy, but that our hope is secure in the promise of eternal life provided in Christ Jesus. May we rest in the protection of our Savior who abides in us, abide in him. This morning, you see the table that we have down here in front of me. And so we get the privilege of coming to the Lord's table together to celebrate communion. And just as I talked about being united in the truth of Jesus Christ, one of the ways that we share in that unity is by remembering the sacrifice that was made for us. As we head to the table together. This is both a time of personal reflection where we consider our sin and lay it before the cross. Acknowledging that it is because of our sin that our precious Savior has gone to that crooked tree. Laying down his life so that all who believe may receive life. But this is also a corporate activity a unifying experience in which all of us here and all of those who participate in this ordinance are together proclaiming Jesus' death as their atoning sacrifice and proclaiming his name until he returns. The instruction for this ordinance is provided to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup 
After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray, inviting the worship team to come up and take the elements as they take their places on the platform. If you've professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you to come up and take the elements and head back to your seat, remembering Jesus and what he has done for you through the shed blood and broken body. This table is for believers only, so I'm going to ask that if you still aren't sure where you sit with the Lord, if you're not quite sure that you're ready to profess the Son, that you just sit back, maybe say a little prayer and and spend some time wrestling with the Lord and what was talked about this morning. No one's looking or seeing. Everyone here is considering their own sin, laying it at the foot of the cross. We have quite a few children in the room, and so going to ask parents to use discretion for their children. If you've heard them made a credible profession of faith in Jesus, then they, and they have repented and believed, please invite them to participate with you. If they've yet to make that profession, I encourage you to use this time to communicate what it means to follow Jesus and the meaning of communion. So with that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been anointed by your truth. That we have been rescued and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb provided in Christ Jesus. Lord God, thank you that we can come together as a body of believers to proclaim the name of Jesus, partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning. Lord God, help us to be a people who humbly acknowledge our sin and recognize that the Antichrists are here to deceive and destroy. May we see fully and completely that you, Lord Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. There is no other path. There's no other way to have life everlasting than through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Lord God, I pray that you would help us see that we are a people united in truth. May we seek fellowship and connection, care and concern for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And for those that have yet to know and receive the truth, I would pray that you would anoint them with it, Lord Jesus. If there are people in our hearts and minds this morning, Lord Jesus, that we beg would be allowed to see you and know the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Help them to see and know that you are Lord. Lord God, let us draw closer to you 
more each and every day through your word, being spurred on to love and good works. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.